Hey everyone, this is Gene Marks and I'm the host of the Paychex Business Series podcast. You know, as we come to the end of our season two and gear up for an even greater season three, we have learned a lot from legislation changes, PPP loans, employee retention tax credits. But one topic that always stood out to our audience was how they could run their business successfully and safely during the pandemic. So we took a look back at some of our hottest episodes around business safety and chose key parts of those episodes to share with our listeners. First on this list is Rick McElroy, the principal cybersecurity strategist at VMware, where he discusses cybersecurity when it comes to remote working. Let's see what Rick had to share in this episode. So so we've established all the different types of threats that are out there, at least some of the more significant ones. Um, We are under threat. Our data can be compromised. Um, Our computers, our devices can be compromised. All of this has been exacerbated because so many people are working from home. So let's talk about um, what some of the stuff that we can do. So I'm going to throw out, you know, some things to you one at a time and just get your point of view on it. Okay. For starters, um, someone has told me, and this is right up, you know, VMware's alley, but um, like Gene, you should absolutely have a VPN, a virtual private network, Uh, not only on the devices in your home, but when you go traveling around, uh, a VPN is, none of these, by the way, are a silver bullet, right? You know, you're going to provide 100% security, but what are your thoughts? First of all, can you do you agree? What are your thoughts on a VPN? What is a VPN? Yeah, so VPN, simply put, is a virtual private network. Essentially, it's a technology uh, that that attempts to keep the data as it traverses various networks. In this case, let's say uh, you're going to a website to enter a password on that website. Well, there's a whole chain uh, and a whole bunch of infrastructure that exists between you and that server you're entering your password. So the virtual uh, private network you know, encrypts that traffic so that um, attackers can't sit in the middle of that transaction and do something, which we refer to as man in the middle. It was one of my specialties uh, back in the day uh, and sniff those passwords and sniff that traffic. So so I would say it's good for privacy um, along with security. However, um, we've also seen to your earlier point, we've also seen VPNs get leveraged nefariously because they're inconfigured wrong or they don't have proper uh, monitoring over those. And so what you've seen the industry do to address that is um, application writers are pushing that layer of security down into the applications. And so there's a number of apps today, there's a number of solutions that provide um, VPNs inherently to it uh, to protect against that. But as a general rule, if you're a small business owner, go get a VPN, make sure that you're not just attaching to public Wi-Fi. They are owned in airports. Um, and when we refer to something as being owned, it's not the people that bought it. It's the attackers uh, that currently have ownership of that infrastructure. And yeah, uh, we see it all the time. It is definitely one of my goals for this summer is we're going to equip uh, the people in my company all with VPN. I mean, we you can subscribe to service if you Google VPN software. Sure. There's plenty you can subscribe to. They're relatively inexpensive. Um, and I think the other bonus is I can start watching some of my favorite shows on the BBC. Uh, yes. I won't know where I'm coming from. So, but don't tell anybody that. Okay, so that's your thoughts on VPN. Um, upgrades. I- I've had IT specialists, security people tell me, like Gene, uh, you know, there's a lot of different things you can do, but one of the most important thing you, you have to be doing is upgrading your-, your device's operating system, as annoying as it is. And that should be across the board, all of your employees, wherever they are. Uh, give me your thoughts on upgrading operating systems. One of the number one, so so you forget ransomware, forget you know phishing. We hear all this stuff. Uh, when you when you go all the way back to the root causes, like you know what happened. Yep. In most of the cases, uh, the fundamentals of security. So so patching is one of those fundamentals. Um, system updates is missing. Now, the larger you get as an enterprise, 
the 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 more scrutiny and quality assurance you're going to put over this process. Right. That being said, if you have a Windows box today, if you have a laptop, um, if you're running a Surface device, if you're running an iPad, and I've turn on automatic updates and let them run. And here's why: um, as an IT security professional, as an IT professional, I would rather troubleshoot a path that that I put on a system or an update that I put on a system where it breaks the system than I would having a malicious actor take advantage of that and running around because the level of effort is much higher. And Microsoft has been doing a, a pretty wonderful job with their updates along with Apple. Um, you know, so I, I, I'll leave like SQL databases and stuff out of this discussion, but strictly speaking to endpoints, turn it on, get them updated as fast as possible. Um, the manufacturers are working as hard as they can uh, when issues are identified to get them out there. Uh, and I can't actually remember the last time my Windows box broke because I did an yeah. update to it. So just yeah. get just get it done. There was a time when uh, when Microsoft updates was a, an enormous pain. A mess. Yeah, it was a mess. And and you're right that that, that they they've definitely gotten much much better at doing that. What about though if you've got you know, you've got employees working from home? That's what the conversation is about. Is there anything that you can recommend? You know, for me to make sure that my employees are are running the most recent versions of Windows or iOS short of me knocking on their door and inspecting what they have? Sure. And look, there's a number of solutions. Uh, VMware has some, right? So, I, you know, I, I'm hesitant to, you know, to give you a ringing endorsement on one particular product. That okay. being said, um, yes, we're here to help. The, the IT community and the, the IT security community um, has, in fact, had solutions for a number of years to help in, enforce things like system updates to make sure that the security controls over that device are good. And then of course, to, to uh, record activity and ensure that you know the, uh, the cyber criminals aren't on there doing something as well, right? And so my, my big message I think for small and medium businesses is um, look, security is not a zero investment uh, game. It's just not, it is gonna take some investment. I think if you frame it and think about it in terms of safety, you know, you're really providing a safe environment for your employees, for your customers, for your partners. Um, you're going to build some money in to do that. And then you're going to have to be smart as a small and medium business. And one of those areas I think you can get smart on is, is through partnerships. Now, what's happened over the last five or six years is um, these high-end security providers, where it used to be really costly to bring in a team to look at your data and or provide you know, security services, as the economy of scale has dropped on that. And so there's a number of very reasonable, very affordable uh, partners and solutions out there um, that will help you with these challenges. And then of course, ensure that all you can, all you need to be focused on is building your business and growing it. You know, let the professionals come in, let them help you, let them give you some good advice. And, uh, and then I would just say, listen to your partners. If you're gonna partner with someone, really listen to them. Um, we're, here, we're again here to help. Yeah, you know, it, you mentioned about the professionals and, and people like th that specialize in this stuff. And, and you talk about spending money. I mean, I think another big area is, is training for your people as well. Um, and, and every every study that I read about this, Rick, is like, you know, it, it's user error. Somebody clicked on a wrong link, you know, they went to, because we're dopes. We don't know what we're looking at. We're, you know, we're going to some phishing website or we respond to an email that's, you know, we think it's from the CEO of the company, but it's not. So um, talk to me a little bit about your advice on training. Yeah, so I, I believe in training, but I think it's got to be effective. Um, you know, I also operate on the premise that um, people are going to click. Like, I, I mean, yeah. if you look at any of the apps on your phone, we're, we we train our new our next generation to click on things, right? Sure. So I do think 
Um, security and IT has a responsibility with that, right? To meet the, the user at the point of interaction with the data. That being said, um, I think security training has changed over the pandemic. So it was fairly typical. And some people on the phone may have went through, you know, courses where, um, hey, this is a phishing link. But what's happened due to the pandemic is we've blended our home and work lives. Hmm. And so um, even when I used to go into an office, I would know I had a badge, I had a badge in, I was aware of the policies, I was aware of those cameras, I was aware of, you know, so my behavior would change as a result of that, because I would remember that I went through training and, you know, hey, I can't just uh, leave social security numbers printed out on a printer, right? right. Um, so, so this idea that like we've blended our home lives with work lives, I think does need us to revamp how we're doing education. And, the, and then secondarily, I, I, I would say, um, I think the idea that we can just push out like uh, a little video training and expect user behavior to change uh, is a little incorrect. And so um, again, what we have to be in the business of is, is positive uh, behavioral changes. And then there's a number of ways to do that. Um, but step one is you have to have security and compliance training. Right. Um, and then you just have to drive to make it effective. So uh, look, if you have a learning and development department, awesome, work with them because they understand uh, how, how people learn. Uh, so it's, we're not always, as security professionals, the smartest people about that. Um, but I think if we pay attention and ask the right questions, we, we can get to a better spot with education and awareness. Right? Okay, two more quick questions for you, then I'll let you go. Um, number one is um, uh, passwords and multi-factor authentication. I, you know, first of all, I, you know, I just started using a password vault recently, Keep, it's called, and uh, it's excellent. Um, and so I'm advising everybody in my company to do the same. Um, multi-factor authentication, you know, for those of you guys, most people know about it already. That's, you know, you log in as a password, you get a text sent back to you, you know, usually your phone and, uh, you respond with it, with a, I, again, I, you know, I was listening to like a reply all podcast recently, an episode out telling, and they would talk about how easily even multi-factor authentication can be, you know, you can get around it so easily to spoof a cell phone. What are your thoughts on password security so, and MFA? So they're not wrong. Right. right. And I say this all the time. Um, MFA is not a silver bullet. I think yeah. you mentioned uh, other things that we wreck. You know, um, SIM cloning is a legit risk that happens. Uh, and generally speaking, that has to be a targeted attack. So I talked about those macroeconomics earlier, this 1.5 trillion head towards the 10 trillion dollar market. Well, why? Because the, the attackers get to automate all the stuff that they do. Um, they are taking manual steps uh, and interacting with system ones once they're on there, but like the defensive evasion pieces, uh, all of the stuff that they do to re like that's all automated. And so there's no cost to them. Right. Um, MFA specifically goes after one of the things they care about the most. So I mentioned these earlier. One is I want to move around and, and spread as far as possible. The second one is I want your identity. I want your credentials. Well, the methods that the attackers use to pull it off, um, honestly, don't change very often, and they're pretty rudimentary. And uh, in my humble opinion, like we should have just defeated those already. So right. MFA squarely sits at this idea that an attacker is gonna have to take some manual action. They're gonna have to work harder to go after your credentials versus going after um, one of your competitors or someone else. And here's what we know about attackers: they are lazy. Like, yes, they will, you know, especially if they're a nation state, they'll spend millions of dollars to go after you. But the most of the cyber criminals are lazy and they want an ROI, return on investment, as fast as possible on that attack. If you can, if you can stop the credential harvesting, the good, like the chances of them moving on are very high. 
Yeah. So they're going to move from you as a target to someone else. And, and MFA represents, I think, a great way that all of us can instantly raise the bar against these attackers um, and really help. So it's it's a top recommendation for me right now. And it does, again, has to be implemented well, and it doesn't come as a silver bullet. But let's at least make them have to go swap my, like if they, if I make them have to go do a, a, sw a, a SIM cloning on my phone, I consider that a win because I've made them work that much harder. <laughs> Yeah, it's fair enough. I mean, they're looking for the low-hanging fruit, and and obviously, the harder that you make it for them, it's not you know, it's not impossible, but they're they're more right. likely to move on. Final topic, and it, only we've had this whole conversation, Rick. Right? We've talked about putting in a VPN, upgrading your operating system, multi-factor authentication, having a password a vault for your passwords with complex passwords. Is what I do, getting training for your people. That, and and I hear this, you know, from other security people. I hear less and less about security software. I mean, there was the day where you would be like, you just get Northin, Norton, Norton, or you get McAfee, and then it runs in the background and you're secure. And I mean, there's still a need for that, right? But it just seems like it's it's falling down the priority list. And I don't know if that's just me or not. Oh, um, so that's interesting. I would make the argument, um, security is, is becoming intrinsic to technology as it's delivered, right? right? And so it's a big part of what VMware is working on. It's a big part of what Microsoft's working on. So Microsoft's done, I think some amazing, yeah, Apple has done some amazing work when it comes to a lot of the methods that these attackers use to breach the data, right? So they, they're gonna continue from an operating system, thinning that out, making it much more difficult. Uh, but no, you still need um, what we refer to as layered security or defense in depth. Um, okay. I actually think to your to your point about, well, I had Norton or you know this one piece of, I think that that was missold to the public. Um, it's it's you know saying that I only need one security tool. Um, I'm just going to tell you if anybody tells you that they're probably they're, they're probably selling you snake oil. Um, you will need multiple security tools in a stack, but that's not to say that you need to massively increase your complexity, right? Because here's what we see: cloud vendors are starting to bake in a lot of these security technologies into the cloud. So. If I'm an Amazon customer, um, an AWS customer, I, I get to take advantage of a bunch of things they're already doing, which is great, which means my team doesn't necessarily have to perform those functions, but they do have to audit. They do have to provide oversight and, and, and ensure that contractually my cloud providers are doing that. So, so I think it's just a, another area where um, we're starting to consolidate security into our technology stacks and we're, we're ensuring that our vendors are baking that in, which yeah, is good. You know, I think it's a good move. It's good to know that at least the vendors, and I think that's ultimately where we're going to go, particularly for small businesses. I mean, if you've got QuickBooks, you've got Dynamics, you've got Zoho, you don't, you want you want to rely on those vendors to, to be the ones that are providing. Yeah, and they have a number of cool controls that they're doing, right? Yeah, and so, yeah. you know, it's not to say that an attacker couldn't find something tomorrow, right? But right. they've got a team. They they have, well, they have uh, bug bounty programs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Rick McElroy is the principal cybersecurity strategist at VMware. He can be reached at InfoSecRick, I-N-F-O-S-E-C-R-I-C-K. Rick, great conversation. Thank you so much for uh, all this information. I'd like to have you back. I have, I have more questions to ask you. Uh, we have a limited amount of time, but yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. So as we learned, cyber attacks can happen and they can be costly. And with employees working from home, you should have a plan in place so you don't have unexpected costs resulting from a cyber attack. Kind of makes sense. Paychex Insurance Agency offers cyber liability insurance to cover lost income when your business is locked down and its litigation costs are high. 
Their licensed agents can help you find coverage against a wide range of financial losses associated with online and ransomware attacks, as well as telecommunications theft and social engineering fraud. You can get more information on PageXit Cyber Insurance at payx.me forward slash cyber21. So check it out and please make sure your business is protected. It's super important. Okay, in our last episode, I spoke with infectious disease epidemiologist and infection preventionist Saskia Popescu. Boy, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Well, Saskia is the assistant professor in the biodefense program at the Scar School of Policy and Government at George Mason University. She gave us some really great tips on how businesses can create a safer environment for their employees and customers. I was optimistic in this episode, hoping we were on our way towards recovery, and then the Delta variant came back around, and well, but now it's our reality, and her advice is really good for business owners. So let's take a listen to that. Let's pivot a little bit, because I, again, I want to try and get out of the way of, of get some other issues in the workplace resolved. Um, cleaning and surfaces. You know, back in the day when this thing first broke a year ago, I mean, I had clients that were still open, essential businesses, and they're running around and cleaning surfaces and uh, you know, trying to keep everything sterilized and whatever. And then, you know, I read reports that really COVID, you know, the transmissibility of it, over surfaces is really nowhere near as uh, much of a risk as it as what we was originally thought. Is that true? Can you can you shed some light on that? Yeah. So anytime we're dealing with a novel disease, especially a respiratory pathogen, because a lot of them are transmitted through fomites, you know, those inanimate objects and surfaces that become contaminated. So flu, RSV, those kinds of things are very easy to transmit that way. So when we're dealing with these new diseases, we use all those intervention strategies because that's what we know. And we've seen them be efficacious for other ones. So, you know, we threw everything but the kitchen sink at COVID and for good reason. Um, but as time progressed, we noticed from more of an epidemiological standpoint that not a lot of transmission was occurring just from those surfaces. It's more, you know, this is a respiratory pathogen. You know, we say it's it's spread through shared air so that, you know, close contact, um, you know, inhalation of respiratory particles. So that cleaning piece, um, you know, I struggle with because on one hand, is it, a main driver for COVID-19 transmission? No, it can happen. It does happen on very small levels, but the hardest piece is that there's a lot of other infectious diseases out there that are spread this way. So I get so nervous when we talk about, well, so we don't need to be cleaning and disinfecting as much. It's like, well, we do, we weren't doing it enough in the beginning. And this is part of the reason why we also saw flu and respiratory virus season this year you know, so low and it was much more mild than we'd ever seen because all of these interventions were paying off. So I encourage people, you know, when you're looking at interventions from your workplace and in cleaning and disinfection should always be happening. Those are important things. Um, but we want to make sure we're doing all of the interventions, right? Masking, ventilation, distancing, those things. You know, it's funny that you say that because the, um, you know, if COVID has taught us anything that, you know, we should be washing our hands more. Um, and COVID or no COVID for, you know, the foreseeable future. So, you know, a valuable thing that a business owner should always be doing is encouraging their employees, you know, wash your hands and keep services clean and, and have a clean because it's not just COVID. It's like you said, a whole bunch of, you know, of other potential viruses that, that are out there. How about Saskia? Um, how about temperature checks? I mean, I went, um, yeah, I would like just recently I was going into a restaurant to like pick a takeout order, which I had to pick up inside the restaurant. 
And before I was allowed inside, they like, they checked my temperature. And I was just thinking to myself, like, really? Like, are they, they're still doing this? Like, is, is that <laughs> yeah. necessary? And, you know, that's kind of a tough one because <laughs> is it, is it entirely futile? No, you know, you, you can still have fevers, of course, with COVID and other respiratory infections and, and other diseases. But, you know, what we do know is that a pretty significant portion of COVID-19 infections are asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic. So you wouldn't catch those with a temperature check. Um, you know, I, I, I struggle with it because on one hand, I don't want to totally discourage it, but on the other, it does feel a little, a little bit like, um, hygiene theater. And I would rather we focus on other efforts because we know that, you know, statistically speaking, what you're going to pick up is pretty minimal and body temperature is so varied between people and those temperature um, devices are not always the most reliable. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of, you know, I, I would say if you have to pick between that and other interventions, I would say, you know, invest in, you know, some some great masks for your employees or, you know, um, you know, HEPA filter for the space, things like that. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about restaurants and retail. Um, you know, a lot of our listeners just run business to business businesses, you know, B2B companies. And, you know, they're, they're located in an industrial park somewhere, or they've got, you know, in a manufacturing facility or an office complex. So let me address them. Let's assume, you know, Saskia, you are not doing this very cool job that you have. Um, and you're doing something really boring, like manufacturing corrugated containers, or, you know, we're putting together assemblies of widgets, which is what most businesses in this country do. Um, and you've got employees in your workplace, you've got a, you know, a, you know, a, a location in a, again, in an industrial park somewhere, maybe you've got 50, 75 people coming to work every day. What advice do you have? If you were, if you were running that company, what would you be doing right now to make sure that it's as safe as possible for your employees? I would make sure that they have access to good masks um, and they're working in an environment where we've implemented safety protocols. And that means, um, you know, access to hand sanitizer and hand soap, enough breaks to do things like that, because that's something we don't always consider, obviously cleaning and disinfection, but are we ensuring that they can distance appropriately and that there is, you know, adequate ventilation and filtration in that space? And are we providing environments for them to eat and take breaks outside? Because that's a, that's a hard piece, right? Unmasked time is going to be our highest risk and break rooms can be those exact little, you know, uh, cluster events. So I encourage, you know, people to really look at their workflow and make sure that you are providing that space. Um, I cannot stress to you how exhausting it is to work a 12 hour day in a mask and you don't realize how dehydrated you become. So making sure that your employees have time for breaks to take their mask off, get it, you know, get some freedom for that a little bit, you know, breathe in without a mask on because it gets, you know, it gets a little toasty in there and drink water, you know, hydrate up and just have that mental break is so important. Um, and having that is I don't think people realize just the amount of time that that can honestly take. So those pieces, um, ensuring an environment that is a no blame for if you are exposed, you know, if your kiddo tests positive for COVID-19 or your spouse does, and you are exposed that you should probably stay home from work if you're not vaccinated. So, you know, making sure that people feel comfortable sharing that 
they might need to quarantine or they're not feeling that well and they should probably stay home. I think that's been the biggest challenge, you know, we have seen in general because not everybody has that ability. And especially if you are an hourly employee, you know, you might not have that protection. So encouraging this to be an environment where safety and health are prioritized. Great answer. Um, we're running a little bit short of time, but I, I just have I have just a couple quick questions to ask you. And you know, you had mentioned earlier that you travel to Seattle um, from Arizona. I'm assuming, correct? So, mm-hmm. you know, so first of all, I love this about you that you're eating out at restaurants. That's great from an epidemia. I like like to hear that, and I like to hear that you're traveling outside though. Outside, outside, <laughs> outside. Yep, yep, yep. That's right. Um, and you are traveling, and so um, and I'm assuming you flew to Seattle. So, um, so tell us, give us some advice for traveling. When we get back to traveling, which people already are, um, if we're going to go to, you know, business meetings, conferences, let's start with the travel itself. Uh, what advice do you have for us business travelers? Yeah. So I think the first piece I would say is I I'm traveling for work. I am, you know, we're not vacationing right now. My husband oh, is not fully vaccinated, <laughs> um, but even then, you know, it's, it's important to be mindful about just travel in general right now. So when it comes to traveling for work, cause we all have to do it in some cases, I encourage people to make sure they don't travel. If they've recently been exposed or they're awaiting a test results, you've got a, a, you know, a good mask. So mask quality is all about fit and filtration. The CDC website is really helpful for that, that you are going to be wearing the whole time. Uh, Eat before you travel. So the reason I say this is we have spent so much time and energy at airports, focusing on restaurants and bars where people are likely to flock. And I see this trend where people go and get the food and the drinks to go and then take them to the gate because they think that's safer. And then they're all sitting, you know, versus the restaurant, which was actually spaced pretty appropriately. They're all sitting like one chair away from each other at the gate, eating at the same time and drinking and then talking to their, whoever they're traveling with. And I'm just like, this is the problem. So that risk perception, I think is perhaps one of the biggest challenges we face for traveling. Um, the airplane, you know, it's, it's a pretty safe environment. The air exchanges are every three minutes. My husband's actually an aerospace engineer. And, you know, he was just telling me about the level of filtration that air goes through and it's, it is phenomenal. So I'm less concerned about the airplane when people are fully masked. The studies we've seen are all about masking the entire time. So if you are flying and you need to drink some water because you get dehydrated on a plane, make sure that you're cognizant of those around you. Is everybody else masked? Great. That's the time to drink some water. If everybody else is eating and drinking, probably should hold off. And that's also one of the other human factors things I've seen where we're handing out drinks and snacks at the same time. So everybody pulls down their mask to eat and drink at the same time. So, you know, I think just being super cognizant of your surroundings and trying to minimize the time that you might be unmasked around those who are also unmasked. Saskia also went on to talk about vaccines in the workplace and should employers demand or shouldn't they demand vaccinations in order to come into the office? I mean, I know we've heard about hospital employees being let go for not getting vaccinated and the uproar on those who believe they should have a choice and those who believe vaccinations should be mandatory. It's definitely a hot topic and one that we should consider covering in season three. We probably will. Oh, by the way, speaking of season three, we have so much coming up on topics to help businesses thrive. In fact, we've been changing the name of the podcast to Thrive, a Paychex Business Podcast. 
I'll have conversations with the leaders, thinkers, and newsmakers who will impact your business, but also propel your business to thrive. So make sure to follow us so you don't miss out on our upcoming season three. Again, my name is Gene Marks and look forward to seeing you very, very soon. This podcast is property of Paychex Inc. 2021. All rights reserved.